I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Curiously specific. Hello, this is Lloyd. This is a quick introduction to this special extra edition of the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast. We spoke to children's literature expert Julia Eccleshare for our second episode on Stig of the Dump, and the things she said were so interesting that we wanted to give them their own podcast edition, and here it is. I should explain that we spoke to Julia in the British Library, so there's a ton of interesting atmosphere, or as we say in the audio trade, annoying background noise. Apologies for that. Anyway, we'll let Julia introduce herself. And if you want to hear the Stick of the Dump podcast that goes with this special edition, please go to curiouslyspecific.com. Thank you. I've worked all my life in children's books, mostly as a critic, as a reviewer and a commentator, but I've had a spell in publishing, so I know how the books are made, which is quite helpful, and I know quite a lot about what, what the author's experience is, and that's also quite helpful. And I've worked in education, so I know how books are consumed as well. But... Really, I think I've been very lucky because I've been able to maintain a huge overview of children's books all my working life. And that means that I sort of see them as individual titles, of course, um, but also I see how children's literature as a piece of publishing has developed, what it's responding to, where it's going, what lasts, what doesn't last. In that time, I've been the, the sort of biggest long spell I've done. I was the children's book editor of The Guardian from 2000 to 2016 and I'm currently the director of the Hay Children's Festival. I've judged a lot of prizes, I've set up a couple of prizes and I've done quite a lot of work uh, in universities on creative writing courses and with academics on children's literature. And you're far from modest to point out you have an MBE for that <laughs> Well that's not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Curiously specific. I don't think anyone would have thought it was environmental at that point any more than they probably would have thought that Swallows and Amazons or any of the Ransoms were directly environmental, but they have a similar flavour in a way. It's about making the best of nature. And the underlying message of that is also don't destroy what is in nature. And so I'm not sure, I don't know, I've never read anything that Clive King has said about what his intentions were on that. So I see it more as, I mean, I love the recycling, and I, as a child, of course, I didn't think of it as recycling. I just, it seemed so practical. Yeah. And it was actually also, it was what, what happened. I mean, you know, I grew up in uh, a world in which, you know, no tin can was ever thrown away, was always used for keeping nails which were going rusty, or, you know, yeah, crayons, or, you know. And uh, so I suppose what I thought about Stig was the 
uh, that didn't feel like recycling. I think you're right that it is, but I think it was much more uh, a utilitarian approach to life, which probably in 1963 people still weren't quite careful. Mm. You know, it was waste not, want not. And um, so really it's about, I think it, it is making a statement about, I think it's making a statement about simplicity, not about recycling. Mm. I mean, to me, the thing that was so captivating about it was that Stig was doing what we were all doing as kids, of building shelters and hanging out in them and creating our own little space, which was away from the rules and regulations of what was then a much more formal way of life. And in a way, that's what Clive King sets up, because he juxtaposes Stig's, as it were, playful. I mean, I don't mean his la la playful, mm. but I mean, it is sort of, it's very practical what he's doing, but he's also very free. So in that sense, playful. Mm. I don't mean any other way. Against the rather formal world in which what's the main character Barney. Barney is staying with his grandmother, and the stuff about you know laying the table and the right silver spoons and the right clothes to wear for going <laughs> out and all of that. So it seemed to me that what he was doing was he, he was encouraging freedom. Curiously specific. I didn't go to boarding school, so I never assumed that. I took it much more in the convention of the children's story, which is that you have to get rid of the parents. Yeah. So, you know, I've always read it as just sort of... And I went to stay with my grandparents. So I think the interesting thing about Stig is, you know, when I talk about it, is that it reminds me how much you read a book according to what it reminds you of, not necessarily what's in the book, if you see what I mean. So for me, as I say, it reminds... You know, we spent our holidays mostly in Scotland, making dens, hanging out with our cousins, doing all, we were doing what Barney was doing, except that we were not cavemen. <laughs> but that, so, the, the freedom, what I call the playfulness, was what really appealed. Yeah. I mean, that, and the, 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 the difficulty about it is that when I was a child reading it, you know, that felt perfectly sort of comfortable. But when I gave it to a school teacher friend when our kids were in primary school, she thought it was two classes. She thought she couldn't read the stuff about Granny and the silver and the silver being stolen and, you know, all of that. And the and the, the robbers were so clearly working class. And right. I think that's a pity about it. I mean, I think it's a pity that that's how people see it because I do think it's a... I think it is a book about freedom for the child yeah, yeah. and finding out. And Barney has to trust Stig. He has to go, he meets Stig, and he has to decide whether he trusts him. That's a really important part of childhood, yeah, learning yeah. who you trust. Now, of course, you couldn't ever publish Stig nowadays because clearly, you know, Stig would be a dubious character and he, 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 Barney would not have been allowed to go out and just sort of hang around. I mean, you know, you have to remember, if, he wrote it, if it was published in 63, he's really writing a book for the 50s. And it is a very 50s view. And then there's the question of, does Stig really exist? I mean, you know, did Barney make Stig up? Yeah. I always thought there was that element of doubt, though. I've yeah. always thought you could not know whether... What, when Barney comes back and he says about playing with Stig, and I think he makes you give... I think the whole bit with the panther, which I'm slightly hazy on now, but yeah. you know when they go to the party do, and there's yeah. the panther and all of that. So I think he builds into us the idea of real and not real and what children really see and what they don't see and yeah. what adults believe and what adults don't believe. Yeah. And I think that's very much at the heart of that. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody believes Barney when he says he's playing with Stig. It's absolutely of its time in the sense of the powerlessness of the child. That the child was thought to be probably, you know, I mean, the freedom for the child, yes, that would have been a very 50s thing, but also that the, the, what the child says isn't listened to. Curiously specific. Clive King might not have mentioned that they were um, 
that they were gypsies because I think I mean I can't remember you know what I know about him but wasn't he essentially left-leaning didn't he I mean you know so this was I mean the the interesting departure of this book and I'm sure the reason why my parents were very keen on it is that it was by you know it wasn't sort of as an Amazon as it was even though it might feel like that in some respects it wasn't it was this more I think it was I think it was meant to be more like kind of real life that Barney, you know, meets this kind of mixed crew of people. He didn't just happen to have a bit of luck with a scholarship to rugby. You know, it's it's a different kind of language. And I think it was meant to be much more you know normal and of our of our world yeah, but i mean yeah. of course now when we look at it that looks ridiculous because it's not inclusive it's not as you say barney probably went to a boarding school so i, th- I mean i think the, i think i think the stig was a very brilliant creation and what stig was doing and i think him not having speech yeah. that was quite interesting yeah. that he didn't give stig proper speech I mean, he may be that already in 1963 we were very aware of these problems in literature about how middle class it all is and how you manage to convey somebody who is, you want to show that they're sort of slightly different, but once you start having them speak, you begin to define them. Maybe he didn't really want to define them. So, I mean, he could have been influenced by all sorts of things in that. But it's quite unusual to have a character who doesn't, you know, we watch Stig and we feel a very close connection to Stig, but he doesn't tell us anything. Curiously specific. Why would you put a date in? And particularly in a book, which one of the interesting things about Stig also is, is it a fantasy? What is it? How would you classify Stig of the Dumb? Because you've got the time slip. I mean, the the whole, the the second bit, I mean, the sequence of going off in the Stonehenge and all of that. It's a sudden turn, doesn't it? And totally, well, to me as a child reader, it was totally unexpected. Don't you feel that that second bit is written in a very different way? Because it's entirely, as I remember it, exactly, it's dreamy impressionistic, whereas the first bit is so kind of, you know, step by step and cracklingly accurate and visual. And then, I, I, I mean, I know the first time I read it, I didn't pay any attention to the second bit. I wasn't interested in that. Really? I was only interested in... It just felt very... I don't know. It just it just seemed very detached. To me, because I'm not very interested in fantasy of that kind, It was I felt it was quite detached. And I was much more interested in the sort of play around the house. And can't, I mean, he kind of conceived it like that because he must have... Sti- you know, Stone Age Stig obviously was always going to have to end up doing something other than being in his... Yeah. his I mean, you wouldn't give him a, such a clear place to live as it were if you weren't going to take him back into it yeah yeah so he must have thought thought that we were going to go back into the stone age but maybe he you know i think when people sit down to write something they don't always write what they thought they were going to write so he may have thought that he was going to write this book which was about living in the stone age and then actually he found creating a stone age in a contemporary world more interesting one of the things that when you reread things and you realise how you misread them the first time or read them differently the first yeah, time yeah. and I, I'm sort of I suppose as I got older I become increasingly aware of the kind of reader that I am Right. and I think you know listen I'm the person who first time I read Northern Lights and that wasn't that long ago obviously um, you know I read it as a historical novel but I don't like fantasy and I love historical novels so I read all that bit in Jordan 
as it could have been in the 16th century. Okay. And it could have been. Yeah, I mean, you know, been. he can't tell me he, he couldn't have been. It could have yeah. been. <laughs> Fantasy yeah. can be wherever you want to put it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm much com- more comfortable with that. So yeah. I would have been perfectly comfortable with Stig of the Dump if it had been clear that we were, you know, if, if we were in Rosemary Sutcliffe territory, yeah. I would have been fine. But yeah. I just felt it was too sort of airy-fairy because it is quite dreamlike. I mean, the actual, as I remember it, the actual writing of all of that. It is. It is, it is uh, the transition is actually very skillfully done. Yeah. Yeah, and then they're off in this fantasy. And actually, I mean, I don't know what the book was first praised for, but I suspect it's that second half that sort of adult literary critics would have thought, wow, this is amazing, this is... Um, you know, this is a uh, this is a wonderful piece of fantasy description, right. fitting in the traditions of children's literature. Okay. I would guess. I don't know, but I, I mean, you know, probably you're absolutely right that there was a very, um, you know, behind all of what he was thinking was a kind of edu- educational term, because books for children did have that kind of, you know, or, or sort of sense of import, imparting good good wisdom. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Could so, just be entertaining. Curiously specific. I think, unfortunately, I suspect it's one of those books that's very well remembered by people who read it as children yeah. 20 years ago, maximum, a uh, minimum, but mostly 40 or 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, I very much doubt it has quite the same resonance for sort of 10 year olds now. I think they just think it was quirky. I think yeah. they wouldn't, you know, it would seem, I mean, everything, I mean, the premises in that book are so familiar to anybody who grew up in the 50s or 60s. Right. And I think they're so unfamiliar to anyone. The idea, I mean, yes, okay, you could go and stay with your grandparent, but then you would, the fact that, you know, granny goes out and leaves you and you can go and do what you like so long as you don't kind of, you know, do something too mad. I mean, that window, I mean, all right, you could say, as I said at the beginning, that the tradition of children's books is the children have to be allowed to be alone, but they're not allowed to be alone in that kind of way. You couldn't set it up as a realist story, and then because I mean, any editor would say, "I'm sorry, you can't do that." <laughs> it's not plausible. Yeah, they'd say that's yeah. oh, just not plausible, and we'll yeah. get into terrible trouble. And uh, you'll have to say um, somebody was in the house, <laughs> but they did. They would. They would. Yeah, yeah. No editor would have passed that. Honestly. Because they can't, because they get complaints all the time with anything like that. If you implied that a kid could be left alone in a house, that would be, well, it just wouldn't be allowed to do it. Absolutely. Fantasy is the only way that you can get away from the kinds of limitations on your storytelling. And that's why if you kind of set it in some other world, you can actually have characters talking to adults without it being stranger danger. It's very, um, it's very damaging to creativity, yeah. I think. Uh, but they're all publishers are very sensitive to it. You know, you can't have children. Do, I mean, you know, it's also it's also the reality that I mean, in my childhood, you know, you could put a child on a train. <laughs> you were constantly put on trains yeah, and yeah. sent off to yeah. Cambridge yeah. to relatives or whatever. And you'd never do that now. It's it's very odd. <sighs> and once those things have changed, then what are all? I mean, you know, fiction only comes out of comes out of people's imagination but it also comes out of their experience and so if your experience has been something completely different you wouldn't even think of writing that kind of a story and so as a reader I think I mean I don't know what do we think of the average age of a stick reader do we think it's nine nine ten you have to have I think it's a boys book primarily anyway Definitely. and uh, I think it would be very interesting to know but I know that it's just not it, you'll find it on loads of classic lists but I don't think you'll find loads of young kids going, oh, I love Stick of the Dump. No. Sadly, sadly. Curiously specific. 
That was children's literature expert Julia Eccleshare speaking to Tim Wright and Lloyd Shepard about Stick of the Dump for the Curity-specific podcast. Find out more about the podcast, as well as what we've had to say about other books, and also find pictures, videos and maps at our website, curiouslyspecific.com. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.